Thank you, Cece. Girl, you know, you can sing. I appreciate that song, Cece. I am convinced that we are not in charge of any of this. I received a call from the pastor to tell me that it was my turn. And so the message that the Lord gave me, I am convinced it was from the Holy Spirit. Because you'll find out later that song that God placed on your heart, Cece, it is going to go right along with the message that the Holy Spirit gave me. Now, we are not in charge of any of this. It is the Holy Spirit. I'm so, so, so thankful for you this morning, Cece. Well, good morning, saints of God. It, it's been a long time since I've been in this capacity talking to you. Usually, I've gotten so comfortable uh, coming before you talking about religious liberty matters, I almost feel as if I should talk about religious liberty. But I won't bore you this morning with that. But I am so appreciative uh, that you decided to come this morning um, and hear a word from the Lord. So, welcome this morning. For those of you who are listening through the internet, these who are streaming live, I welcome you to Glenville. And I want to say a special hello to somebody very dear to me. Uh, it is my sister Lynn Golson and my niece Erin who's watching live in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, I'm glad you're listening this morning. Now, I have always been under the belief that the Lord is always trying to reach somebody. In fact, we know since the fall of mankind that the Holy Spirit has always been on this earth wooing us back to God. So I'm sure, I don't know if there's someone here this morning that God has been speaking to your heart. I don't know what it is, but you do. God might have been speaking to you about giving your heart to him. Or he might be telling you to come back to him. Those of you who are watching over the internet, God has been telling you that he's soon to come and you're to give your life to him. I believe we don't have much time. So this morning, if God has been pleading with you to return to him or give your life to him, today is the day of your salvation. And you should take advantage of that. Now, I need to uh, give a a special message to my sister, Lynn Golson. She asked me a question last night. Uh, She says, all the time you preach, you've never given me a CD. And I didn't, I didn't answer the question. So I need you all to stop listening so I can address my sister. 
Leanne, the reason that I never gave you a CD because I know how much you love good preachers. And I never thought it was good enough. That's why. And so that's some character stuff in me. So, but I'm glad this morning you're listening. So you'll get a chance not hear a CD, but you get a chance to hear it live. Now, I need to say, um, you know, to the media team, I don't know if Marna is over there, who's ever in the booth, uh, who's behind that curtain. And, you know, my silly mind is telling me, like, like, I love the Wizard of Oz. And you remember when they went to see the Oz and the guy was behind there doing all that stuff. And then he watched, he looks over, he sees that they're looking at him. And he said, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. So I'm looking at behind the curtains. I don't know who's behind there. But, you know, they always ask for a title to the message. Uh, so I need you to get this right because... It could be some serious ramifications behind it if, if you get it wrong. But my text is, if you got your Bibles, it's 1 Samuel 15. So you turn there. But the title of my message is, There's a Witch Living in My House. <laughs> There's a witch living in my house. Now, I can say that boldly because Marlene is not here this morning. She's So, Marvin, do not go and tell your sister. You know how she is. But there's a witch living in my house, but it's not Marlene. It's not Marlene. But there's a witch there. Let's pray. Father, it's your message. I'm your servant. Touch your people. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a religion in America that it is said that it is the fastest growing religion in America. In the United States, this religion doubles every 30 months. It is estimated that there are 8 million unregistered practitioners in this religion. It is the third largest. In 2012, it was the third largest religion in the world, only eclipsed by Christianity and Islam. And there are similar numbers in Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom. Now, that religion is Wicca. And its practitioners are witches who practice the occult or witchcraft. And like an illegal alien, this religion has crossed over into Christianity. The occult, sorcery. Every TV show... Nearly every TV show, every movie, and nearly every book deals with some sort of the occult. 
while the dead is not really dead, and that they can communicate with the living. And we as Christians have bought into this lie that Satan told at the Garden of Eden that you should not surely die. Somehow we're comforted by the fact, and I understand it, we're comforted by the fact to, to believe that our loved ones is in heaven watching down over us. It's comforting, but it's not biblical. It was a lie from the lips of Satan. And then in this witchcraft, we, there are the psychics who look and tell us the future. They read our palms and tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. And then we can't forget the astrologers. And some of us are so steeped in the, in the horoscopes, we run to the paper and look and see what our sign is and what's going to happen to us today. It's the occult. And who can forget the dream books? Well, we got to get our number so we can play it, but we get it from the dream books. It's sorcery. The world church is obsessed with the occult and it's directly from the gates of hell. Now, in spite of all the warnings from God in Deuteronomy 18 to leave that stuff alone, Christians have ignored the warning and have accepted the doctrine. It's of the devil, folk. Now, before we get too comfortable, like I was, and pat your chest and say, that don't apply to me because I don't believe in that stuff. That you will never engage in that sort of thing. Uh, but let me caution you. And let's go to our scripture this morning. It is a text that is clear yet troubling. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23. We don't even have to go into the whole text. But for it says, if you got your Bibles or your cell phones or whatever it is, use this more. Just turn with me there. Uh, 1 Samuel 15 verse 23. And it says, and read with me. It says, for rebellion is as the sin a witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, first, uh, we have to define what witchcraft is. Now, Webster says that witchcraft is the power or practice of sorcery. Having supernatural powers by a pact, a contract with the devil or evil spirits. That's what witchcraft is. And so, and rebellion is an organized opposition intended to change or overthrow existing government. Now, isn't that exactly what the Bible said Lucifer did in heaven? That he tried to overthrow the throne of God. It's rebellion. 
That's why it's the sin of witchcraft. So sorcery, witchcraft, rebellion are one and the same because they originated in the mind of Satan. It's a sin. And it's a witch. Now listen to this. Ellen White says that, like she says that this rebellion thing lives and breathes, get this, that it lives and breathes in most, if not all of us. This rebellion thing. It's a witch. But it lives in my house. She says that rebellion is in the very air we breathe. She said we shall be affected by it unless we, by faith, hang our helpless soul upon Christ. Rebellion, church, is a witch. Now let's back up and see what led to verse 23. What led to God saying that this rebellion thing is as the sin of witchcraft? Now we can now let's 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 get two things clear this morning: that witchcraft is from the devil, rebellion is from the devil because it originated in his mind in heaven when he was Lucifer. Now that's one thing, and the second thing that verse twenty three tells us is that rebellion is a sin. And witchcraft is a sin. Now let's back up and find out what is going on in this story in in, in chapter 15. Uh, Now the story is this. Saul has been appointed the king of Israel, the first king. And as you know, God did not want Saul to be king. But the people wanted Saul to be king. And so because they prayed and they cried and they moaned to God, God gave them what they asked for, which lets me know sometimes, saints, we need to be careful what we beg God for. It might not be the best for us. And we see that this was not the best for Israel for King Saul to be king. He has some stuff In his character, he had these witches in his house. Now, God told King Saul in verse 3, he tells King Saul that he was going to go up against the Amalekites. And he told King Saul to kill King Agag. The violent one. That's what his name means, violent. And so God tells Saul, when you go against Amalek to uh, King Agab, kill him, kill every woman, every child, every man, kill every cattle, lamb, sheep, donkey, goat. God said, kill them all. Now that seems kind of harsh from a God who is compassionate and loving. But as I researched this thing, why was God so angry at the Amalekites? But for 400 years, we're told, for 400 years, God tried to reach 
those heathens as we call them. For 400 years, he tried to reach them and for 400 years, they rejected him. They were idolaters, so God used things that they could connect with. He did miracles in the heavens. For 400 years, he tried to reach them, but they rejected him. And so now King Ahab is is the king. And the first thing he did when the children of Israel made their pilgrimage from Egypt, that he attacked them. And God couldn't stand for it any longer. Now, God has been trying to woo us back and to woo us back and to woo us back. And we've been rejecting and rejecting and rejecting, but lets me know that God's spirit will not always, the Bible says, strive with mankind. Sooner or later, God's judgment is going to rain down. He gave them 400 years to get it right, to accept him, and they didn't. And folk, as we look around the conditions of this world, I know we don't have 400 years before Jesus Christ returns. We might not even have four years before he returns, but he will return. Now let's look at Saul's, the witches that was in Saul's house. Now God told him to kill everything. And the first thing that Saul did when he met King Agag, he spared his life. Why? When the instructions were clear to Saul, God sent the prophet Samuel and he told Saul, you're going to fight the Amalekites, kill everything in the camp, starting with King Agag. So why would he not kill King Agag? What is it in Saul's house that makes him disobey God's first command? We find that it was pride. And we see that pride is a witch living in Saul's house. Now, this is what Sister White says about pride. She says that she says that Saul's first war victory kindled his pride, which was his greatest danger. Now, if you search the history of King Saul, you'll find that, yes, before he came to the throne, he was humble. But we're told that he has some serious character defects in him. And so we see now that pride is one of them. Why would he not king King Agag when the instruction was clear to kill him? But his pride would not let him. And we're told that what he did is that he wanted to bring King Agag back into the camp and slaughter him butcher style in front of the entire congregation. But that's not what God told him to do. King Agag was cursed, and he wasn't supposed to come within the gates of the Israelites. That's why God said, kill him out there. Don't bring him in this house to do it. But it was, it was Saul's pride. And the Bible says, uh, uh, Proverbs 8.13 says that 
God hates pride. And God calls pride evil. Because it's hard for God to reach a prideful person. Now Saul had these serious character defects. But look at what God did for him. Now uh, uh, chapter 10 verse 9 tells us that when God gave Samuel the okay to appoint King Saul as king, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 10, verse 9, that God gave Saul another heart. So that character stuff, those witches that was in his house, God gave him another heart. God would never leave us to ourselves. God always equipped us. Whatever he calls us to do, he always equips us. He gives us another heart. Now, if we reject that heart, if we choose that witch over God, then he'll leave us to our own devices. Now, the Bible says that Saul was handsome and he was tall and everybody clambered over his beauty. He was handsome. And I guess you ladies do like a tall, handsome guy with an eight-pack. And Saul had all of that stuff. And we're told that all those things went to his head. When Saul became king, and after his first battle, when he should have been humble, that witch showed her head in his character. As I said, God never leaves us to ourselves. The Holy Spirit empowers us. So the closer we get to him, the closer we get to God, the stronger we become and the smaller our witches become until they're gone. We just have to cling on to the Holy Spirit and God will drive the witches away. Now verse 9 says, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatling and the lamb and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. That's not what God told them to do. The best that they had, God said, destroyed them. And so we see this other witch that's in Saul's character is selfishness. Selfishness. It's a witch. God had given Israel everything they could ever need. Every cattle, every lamb, every sheep, every goat. They were told that they would never exhaust the livestock that God had given them. So why would they need the Amalekites' livestock? Now they gave the excuse that they would kill what was, the Bible says, refuge, but they would kill the defect livestock. And they would keep the best of the Amalekites, they would keep those and sacrifice those to God. That's the excuse they used. And that's the excuse that, that uh, King Saul gave the prophet Samuel. 
That was his excuse. But we are told that it was because of their selfishness. They did not want to take the best that God had given them and sacrifice to God. It was selfish. They could never use all the livestock and sacrifice to God. He had given them so much. And so they took the Amalekite stuff under the disguise that they was going to sacrifice that stuff. But it was selfishness in their hearts the reason they did it. It was selfishness. And selfishness, I tell you, church, is a witch. They were just trying to disguise their selfishness. And God was angry because his judgment was on the Amalekites and even their livestock was cursed. God didn't want it in the camp. It was cursed. And that's why you and I need to be careful, church, of some of the things that we try to bring in God's camp. Some of the stuff out there in the world is cursed. And so we look at that stuff because we've got these witches in our house. And so we see some of that stuff and we think it's good and we try to drag it into God's house. But God say it's a witch. It's cursed and I don't want it in my house. Some people, some jobs are cursed and God doesn't want it around us. Selfishness. So which? Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. Now this is what God did. God told the prophet Samuel everything that King Saul and those hard-headed folk did. That they didn't kill King Agag. And they brought that cursed mess within the camp. And he told Samuel that. And the Bible says for all night long, Samuel just stayed up all and he couldn't sleep because of what King Saul had done. So he go to King Saul the next morning after the victory. And this is what King Saul told the prophet Samuel. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul And Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou to the Lord, I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Liar! It's a witch! A lying tongue, the Bible says. So he tells the prophet this lie that he has performed the commands of the God with the Agag and the animals in the camp. And so Samuel says, well, what is this noise I hear from these cattle in my ear? He's calling him a liar. Your lying tongue. It's a witch. Rebellion, we're told, leads to lying. And disobedience is evil to God. Disobedience is evil to God. It's a witch. 
Here's another one of his witches. Verse 21. But the people, this is what Saul said to to prophet Samuel after he confronted him. Verse 21. But the people, but the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. He blamed the people, which wasn't a total lie, I don't guess, but they came to Saul and asked him. He gave the approval. So I guess it was a half lie, but a lie is a lie. And it's a witch. Now, this is what the dictionary says about what false witnesses is. Whoever tampers in any way with the exact truth in order to gain personal advantage or any other purpose is guilty of bearing false witness. And so what Saul did, because Samuel had caught him in his lie, he didn't want to be punished by himself. So he said, the people, the people did it. They're the guilty ones. But he bears this false witness. And so false witness and lying, they're witches. And verse 22 tells us that the greatest gift we can give to God is obedience. Now before, and this story of Saul ends in tragedy. And it didn't have to. But it is in tragedy. Now, because Saul refused to resist his witches, we see him 23 years later, dressed in a Halloween costume, talking to a witch in indoor, looking and conversing with a demon, the man of God. Dressed like a fool, talking to a witch, asking advice from a demon. That's the road, church, that rebellion takes us down. So this witch that's living in our house, whether it's pride or false witness or lying, backbiting, stealing, whatever the witch is, It leads to destruction. Constant rebellion always leads to death. And so we see Saul in battle against the Philistines. And what should have been his greatest victory end up being his worst defeat. For not only Saul is killed on the battlefield, but his sons is killed right along with him. Now we're told 
when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, that you know that they were in bondage and listening to all that and watching all that idolatry and paganism in Egypt, that stuff was steeped in their mind and character. And we're told that that's what Saul all his life, when he became king, he was trying to get that stuff out of his people. That's admirable. That's admirable. He was trying to get idolatry out of the hearts of the people. But listen to this. Saul had manifested great zeal in suppressing idolatry and witchcraft. Yet, in his disobedience to the divine command, he had actuated by the same spirit of opposition to God and had been as inspired by Satan as are those who practice sorcery. The very thing he was trying to get rid of, now he finds himself worshiping the witch. He could have ordered no greater insult to the spirit of God had he openly united with idolaters. And that was the fate of Saul. So I'm about done now. So how do we exercise or get rid of these witches that lives in our house? And they're in all of our houses. It's kind of painful to admit it, but there's something, anything that goes against the word of God is a witch. And it dwells in your, in your house. So how do we exercise these witches? Now the solution is very simple. Two words. And this is what God was trying to get King Saul to do. Repent and resist. Repent and resist. Repent and resist the witches. And it's just that simple. Repent and resist. Now, you don't have to have some priest with some tap water that says it's holy and sprinkle it all over the place. And you don't need some pastor speaking in some babbling tongues and doing... Jesus, Jesus, Jesus to exercise these witches. It doesn't take all that. We don't need somebody laying hands on your mouth or on your heart, or on your hands. The Bible is very clear. Repent and resist. That's how you overcome the witches. Now we see that Saul's life ended in tragedy. But yours and mine's don't have to. These witches don't have to dwell in our houses. Repent and resist. We're told that all Saul had to do is even when he got caught lying to God and he did repent but he never resisted his other 
witches. He succumbed to them. And they got stronger and stronger and stronger. Saints, you and I have got to resist the temptations when they come to our lives. No matter what form they take, we have to resist. Because the more we resist, the stronger we become through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you exercise these witches. Our lives doesn't have to end in tragedy. In fact, God showed John on a lonely island what's coming to the saints who exercise these witches from their house. I, John, saw the lamb standing on Mount Zion with 144,000. And their father's name was written in their foreheads. And he looked again and he saw a number that no man could number. And they sang a song of Moses and the lamb, a song that the angels couldn't sing. Why? Because the angels don't know what it's like to overcome the witch. I, John, saw a sea of glass mingled with fire. And they that had gotten the victory over the witch, standing on the sea of glass, John says. Victory for those of us who's overcome the witch. One elder said to John, who are these wearing these white robes? And the angel answered, you know that these are they who come through great tribulation. They overcome the witch and they watched, washed their robes until they were white in the blood of the lamb. There's victory for us this morning, church. We can overcome the witch. I, John, saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. I saw the dead, great and small, stand before God. Their names were written in the book because they overcame the witch. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, the tabernacle of God is with man. Why? Because we overcame the witch. We can overcome the witch, church. Repent and resist. I wish I could stand before you this morning. And said that there was no witches in my house. But I've got the solution. There might be a witch in my house, but it doesn't have to stay there. Repent and resist. And I don't know what witch is living in your house, church. Maybe you can't admit that you have a witch in your house. But there's some witch that's there. 
And we cannot make it to the promised land with witches in our house. But today is the day of salvation. God says, repent and resist. Now, if you're brave enough to admit like me that I have some witches in my house, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close. Father, we are so thankful to you for what you do for your people. We are thankful, Father, that you love us enough to show us that there's this stuff in our house. Thank you for showing us the witches.